Well, welcome back to our continuing study on the Bride of Messiah. And so I've entitled this particular study, The Journey of the Bride. And so in the first session, um, we looked at the marriage between Adam and Eve in the garden and saw that it prophesied about Messiah's marriage to his congregation. Also saw that it prophesied of a relationship between Messiah and Israel, that Israel was going to break the relationship and be exiled in the nations of the world, but she was going to be offered redemption and restoration. And so we're going to continue looking at the bride, who she is, her calling, her destiny. And so we're going to continue and start out in this session with Genesis in chapter 12 and verse 3 and verse 4. We're going to see that Abraham is called out of Babylon. It says, I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so I just uh, wanted to throw out something about that phrase. That if you look at that in the Hebrew, be blessed, and looking at the Hebrew word and the root of the word, um, in the rabbinical commentary, they say that that could be understood that in Abraham's seed will all the families of the earth be grafted or intermingled. That's actually what one of the rabbinical commentaries say is that Abraham's seed would be grafted or intermingled amongst the peoples of the earth by looking at the Hebrew that got translated as be blessed. Anyhow, in verse 4, so Abram departed as Yahweh had spoken unto him. And so there is a calling upon Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees, which is the land of Babylon. And so this is the prophetic calling of the bride of Messiah. She's called to come out of the world in the world system in one of the terms for the world in the world system as we looked at the previous session as we looked in detail the meaning of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we saw it had an association with Babylon we're going to see that the bride of Messiah is called out of Babylon just like Abraham Revelation chapter 18 verse 2 and verse 2 verse 4 and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, Babylon, my people. Now in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 7, we also see the bride of Messiah is called to come out of Babylon. Deliver yourself, O Zion, that dwells with the daughter of of Babylon. So his bride that he's calling wants to have a relationship with, she mingles with the world and the world's system. And so when it says, deliver yourself, O Zion, we say Zion in English, but in Hebrew it's Zion. Zion is a term for the people of the God of Israel. We see this in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 16. At the end of the verse says, Say unto Zion, you are my people. So Zion is going to be a term, not only generally, for the covenant people of the God of Israel, called Israel, but it's going to be a term that refers to the bride of Messiah as well. So Zion is a term for the bride of Messiah. So it says in Isaiah 62, verse 1, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace. So the subject is Zion. And then in speaking about Zion, it says in verse 5, For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. 
And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your, shall your God rejoice over you. Rejoicing over who? Zeal. So, Zion is likened and compared to the bride of the God of Israel. Now, when we see that Abraham was called out of Ur the Chaldees, he's called out of Babylon, what we need to realize is the one that called him out and the one that made covenant with Abraham was Yeshua. Yeshua is actually the one who makes covenant with Abraham. Let's see how we can understand this. Galatians 3.16, Paul says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He doesn't say seeds as of many or plural, but as of one, and to your seed, which is Messiah. Then in verse 29, if you are Messiahs, if you believe that Yeshua is a Messiah, then are you Abraham's seed, and you are an heir according to the promise. So, when Paul is making a point that it's not seeds, but seed, he's commenting on Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant. So the covenant was made between Abraham and the God of Israel with his seed. Now, what we're going to see when Abraham came out of Ur of the Chaldees, you see, in the calling, he went from the known to the unknown. See, he was familiar with Ur of the Chaldees. That's where his family was. That's where his comfort was. So he was called to leave his comfort zone to where he hasn't been. Well, if you haven't been, you haven't experienced it, you don't know what to expect, that's uncomfortable. It's the known to the unknown. The reason why this was a challenge is because one of the, the values that a woman treasures the most is to feel secure. And so Abraham, called to be the bride of Messiah, uh, was asked to leave her security. And so this requires to leave your security, to be willing to do that, that requires a great deal of trust in the one that's asking you to do that. And that's what faith is. Faith is trust. So Genesis 17, verse 1, When Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai is Revelation 1.8, is Yeshua. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the Almighty, El Shaddai. So the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be thou. And the King James says, Perfect. It's the Strong's number 8549. It's the Hebrew word tamim. And 44 times tamim is translated as without blemish. Six times it's translated as without spot. Walk before me and be without blemish and without spot. Does without blemish and without spot bring anything to mind? Yeah, it's going to be the characteristic of the bride. So here's a place where it's translated as without blemish. So tamim, tamim means spiritually mature, whole, complete, without blemish. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. Your lamb shall be tamim. Your lamb shall be without blemish. So that does not mean that there's no sin. It means a maturity, a fullness, a completeness. You might say an adult. Now I'm going to show you another place in Scripture where we find the word tamim. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. Blessed are the tamim. Well, here the King James translates it as undefiled. And here the Tamim, which was Abraham was asked to be Tamim, 
Here the Tamim follow the Torah. So if the bride of Messiah is Tamim without blemish, one of the things that she will do is she will follow the Torah of her husband, Yeshua. Psalm 101, verse 6. He that walks in a Tamim way shall serve me. Abraham was asked to be Tamim. It's without blemish, undefiled. This is going to be a characteristic of the bride. So prophetically, Abraham, in being called out of Ur the Chaldees, was called to be the bride of Messiah. And this becomes the calling out. And Abraham's walk becomes the journey of the bride of Messiah. So the bride of Messiah is going to love her bridegroom, Yeshua, with her whole heart. Psalm 119, verse 34. Give me understanding and I will keep your Torah. Keep your Torah. I will observe it with my whole heart. So we're supposed to follow the Torah with our whole heart. Well, the greatest commandment, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, Yeshua said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So the way you love him with all your heart is to keep his Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 13. You shall be tamim with the Lord your God. So that which Abraham was called to be in Genesis 17 verse 1 is what we are called to be. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 13. Now in Psalm chapter 18 verse 25, the King James translates tamim as upright. With the merciful, you will show mercy. And with the tamim, with the tamim person, you will show yourself tamim. So, with the spiritually mature, the God of Israel will reveal himself more fully to them. We'll have a, a deeper relationship. The bride of Messiah is going to be upright without blemish. She's going to have clean hands and a pure heart. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4. Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? You know what the hill of the Lord is? It's Mount Zion. So Mount Zion is the place of the bride. Who will stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. So that's how you follow... Yeshua in a tamim way with clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands is how you do something. Your hands is how you do, how you conduct your life. That you do things in a right way. You conduct your affairs in the proper way with the right heart, right attitude of the heart. So we see that the tamim dwells in the holy hill or Mount Zion of the God of Israel. Psalm 15 verse 1. Lord, who shall abide in your tabernacle? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? So that same question is asked in Psalm 24 verse 3. Who will ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall abide in the tabernacle and dwell in your holy hill? He that walks to me. And works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. So the Tamim have clean hands, a pure heart, and they work righteousness. In other words, they follow and do right things. If people are in need and help, they're willing to help those in need. So Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, 
Who did he choose before the foundation of the world? His bride. What's the name of his bride? Israel. So Israel was chosen to be the destiny made of the Messiah before the foundation of the world. We've already covered that. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. We should be <coughs> tamim before him. And how are you tamim? How are you spiritually mature before him? In love. Love is a characteristic of being spiritually mature, of being tamim. And now this is what should have came to your mind when I share with you scripture that to me means without blemish and without spot, Ephesians 5.27, and that he might present to himself a glorious congregation, it's talking about his bride, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but his congregation, his bride, should be holy and to me without blemish. So, in the journey of the bride, Abraham being a type of the bride, he's being called out of Ur, of the Chaldees, and so he makes a commitment to follow the God of Israel. But in the process of that commitment, things happen, circumstances come about, that Abraham sees the need to go to Egypt. Well, that's what happened in our lives. We've made the commitment to follow him, make him Savior, Lord, but you know, when we live our lives, circumstances come in our lives and sometimes we act worldly for a moment. We act flesh, fleshly for a moment. We go to Egypt. And so, in Genesis 15, verse 12, in making the covenant with Abraham, it was Yeshua that made the covenant with him. It says, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep. We've already gone over that from Adam, that, that deep sleep represents spiritual slumber, um, departing from the Torah. And a whore of great darkness fell upon him. The whore of great darkness is what happens and how you're treated in exile. And he said to Abram, Know for surety that your seed will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. Exile is not your land. It's the land of Israel is your land. Exile is not your land. Jerusalem is your land. Exile is not your land. Babylon and Egypt is not your land. Mount Zion is your land. The world and the world's ways isn't your destination. It's to love Yeshua with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To keep His commandments. To follow His Torah. That's your land. They will be in a land that's not theirs and will serve them. And so on the deeper level, it's a reference to they will depart from the Torah. And from departing from the Torah, those who take you into captivity will mistreat you and you will afflict them 400 years but afterward that nation which they serve will I judge so the nations that took the children of Israel into exile as we come to the end of days they're going to be judged there's going to be the judgment of nations okay when you um, temporarily depart in the world and the world system the world and the world system is going to be judged and those that walk in the flesh and follow the desires of the flesh, they're going to be judged. That nation, when you are following the flesh and the desires of the flesh, that flesh is going to get judged. And afterward, they will come out with great substance. In other words, returning and reconciling yourself with the Lord and committing yourself to Him has great reward. And so in going down to Egypt, the children of Israel, they say to Pharaoh, we're your servants. Now, one way to understand what happens in Genesis chapter 15, the covenant that was made between Yeshua and Abraham, one way to understand it is it was a blood covenant, but the way in which the covenant was made has a link and association with ancient marriage customs. And so you might think that in making the covenant, a relationship was established, so a marriage was entered into. Okay. So a marriage was entered into, 
And then in Genesis 47, verse 1 and verse 4, Joseph came and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan. Behold, they're in the land of Goshen. And they said to Pharaoh, To sojourn in the land are we come, for your servants have no pasture for their flocks. For the famine is great in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray you, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. So they're speaking to Pharaoh and they're saying, where are your servants? Well, in Egypt, Pharaoh was regarded and worshipped as a god. He was the god of Egypt. And so when they said, where are your servants? In effect, they were saying, they submitted themselves to another god. And so they're leaving the covenant relationship that was made with Abraham and they're serving other gods. And there's other gods, Pharaoh in Egypt's going to afflict them. And they're going to cry out. And the God of Israel is going to rescue or redeem or deliver his bride from under Pharaoh's hand, from bondage. And so in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in delivering his people out of Egypt and bringing them to Mount Sinai, in delivering them out of Egypt and bringing them to Mount Sinai, it was the God of Israel being faithful to his covenant promise with Abraham, and he called Moses on behalf and to fulfill the covenant that he made with Abraham. Therefore, what happens at Mount Sinai is a part of and linked to and linked with the covenant that was made with Abraham. In traditional Christianity, we chop it up. Okay, we put the covenant that was made with Abraham, that's a box. So we put that in its own box, and what happened at Mount Sinai, we got to put it in a separate box. And we make a rule, the boxes don't mix. <laughs> and so here we have the connection of the covenant to the calling of Moses, and thus the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and ultimately going to Mount Sinai. And so in bringing his people out of Egypt, he makes some promises on their behalf and their deliverances. And it's found in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And in these verses, there are four I wills. And there's a parallel that's made between these four I wills and in a traditional Passover Seder, the four cups that are a part of the traditional Passover Seder. And so, the four I wills are, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rid you of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And the final I will is, I will take you to me for a people. Now, this word take in Hebrew is translated in other verses, of which I'm going to give you an example, as Mary, to Mary. So, you can translate this, I will marry you to me for a people. And so the ultimate outcome of him bringing his people out of Egypt is there's going to be a marriage. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, is where we find the word that is translated as take, which is the Strong's number 3947. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So look what the word means. It's the Strong's number 3947. And it's the Hebrew word lakach. It means to take, which is how it was translated in Exodus 6, but it means to take in marriage, to marry. 
And so the way in which the bride of Messiah was redeemed out of Egypt was by the blood of the Lamb. Her redemption is by the blood of the Lamb. Exodus chapter 12, verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. So this relationship between Messiah and his bride and how it looks like and what the calling is and what she does and his response to her doing what she does and his desire for her, redemption of her, um, relationship with her, reconciliation with her is all explained and outlined and detailed in the Torah. So this is why Yeshua said the Torah is written of him. So, in coming out of Egypt, the people were to take a lamb, kill the lamb, and they're going to conduct what's called Passover. And they're going to take the blood of the lamb and they're going to put it on the doorpost. Exodus 12, verse 7. You shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts. And here I'm showing you the Hebrew letter Chet. And the Hebrew letter Chet can look like a door with doorposts. And so this is from the book, in his own words, by Grant Luton, page 89. By the way, Grant lives about half hour, 45 minutes from me. One day I went out and visited him at his house. Anyhow. When the blood of the Passover lamb was placed upon the doorpost and lintel of each Hebrew home, the blood formed the shape of the letter Chet, the letter which is synonymous in the Jewish mind with life. So the representation is the blood, life. Now, the way in which he redeemed his bride legally from under the authority of Pharaoh, which she served other gods, was Passover, and in putting the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, there was a threshold covenant that was being made, a threshold covenant. And the way we can see this is in Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. It says, you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, is what the King James says. So, the word basin is the Strong's number 5592. It's the Hebrew word kaf. You see four times the word's translated as basin, but eight times it's translated as threshold. The blood that's in the threshold. And strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the threshold. You know, uh, last night we had a wonderful meeting, um, home group meeting, and I shared some insights into the Hebrew language. And I shared that by having a basic understanding of the Hebrew language, that it will help you understand the Bible in a deeper way. So I'm giving you examples of taking a Hebrew word and showing you how it's translated in different verses where you're going to, from this method and what I'm showing you, I'm amplifying the meaning of the text and you're getting a lot more out of the text than if you're just reading it simply in the English. So that's the power of the Hebrew and learning Hebrew. So um, now we're going to look at Psalm 84 verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And the word doorkeeper means to stand at the guard and to guard the threshold. To guard the door. To guard the threshold. Once again, there's the killing of the lamb, putting the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And so Yeshua called himself the door. You put the blood of the lamb on the door post. Yeshua's the door. John chapter 10 verse 7. Then said Yeshua unto them, Verily I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. 
And he says it in verse 9. I am the door. And Yeshua is our Passover lamb. They were to kill the lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Yeshua is that Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Christ, our Passover. Yeshua, our Passover. So Yeshua is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so John the Baptist, Yochanan the Immerser, says in John chapter 1, verse 29... Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He's the Lamb. So we're redeemed by the blood of Yeshua. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So the Torah teaches that He redeems His people on behalf of the covenant promises He makes with Abraham. Um, and Abraham's calling was a picture of the calling of the bride. So the Torah teaches that He redeems His bride by the blood of the Lamb. So this isn't uh, New Testament compared to Old Testament. The New Testament is just affirming that the Torah is so. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you are redeemed with the precious blood of Messiah being the lamb that was to me. Yeshua was to me a lamb without blemish and without spot. So he calls his bride to be without blemish and without spot. So this is from the book and commentary on the Torah to Exodus by Moses Nachmanides, who goes by the acronym the Ramban. And commenting to I will redeem you. The meaning of the word Ga'ula, the Hebrew word for redemption, is close to the subject of meher, sale, thus implying, I will buy you from the Egyptians. And so the blood is a purchase. You're bought, you're purchased by the blood. And we're told in 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 20, you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are not your own? You are not your own, you're bought. So, don't know if you realize it or not, because um, they actually don't emphasize this in traditional Christianity, but... Whenever you make the decision to accept Yeshua as your Savior and your Lord, which you have to confess your sins and repent of your sins first, and then in coming in repentance, um, then you declare Yeshua is Messiah, Yeshua is your Savior, and you're asking Him to be your Lord. When you do that, you're making an exchange. He's buying your sins. Because you're asking him, will you buy my sins? He says, yeah, I'll buy them. Now, he buys something from you. He's buying your life. Yeah, will you give me your life? So you're making a, an agreement. You're making a sale. He buys your sins, and he buys your life. And he buys your life by his blood. So once he buys... Your life, you don't own your life. He owns it. Because you've made him Lord of your life. So therefore, if you decide to live your life according to what you want to do today, you're being a thief and a robber. You're not allowed. You're violating the terms of the, of the blood covenant. You're violating the terms of the marriage. Because he bought your life and he wants to own your life because he wants to do his will for your life. And now if you try to do your own will, when he wants his will to be done in your life, you're being unfaithful. You're saying that you own your life when he bought your life. And so, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Okay, he bought you. Now you're supposed to present your bodies to him to do his will. Now your life becomes a sacrifice for him to do what he wants to do in your life. 
That's the agreement that you made. And so, um, yes, you get a great benefit by being saved. You get a great benefit by spending eternity with Him. But it's not like sometimes um, it's presented in church or implied in church that, okay, it's all free. Do what you want. It's all free. Do what you want. You get the best prize. Do what you want. Doesn't matter. Do what you want. But you're going to get the best. Don't work that way. You've been bought with a price, and he wants you to be Tamim. And that's the characteristic of his bride. He will help you to be Tamim. It's not all your responsibility to get there. He says, you know, I know you can't get there on your own. I'm going to even help you to do that. Okay, I'll give you my spirit to help you to get there. So that's not even your responsibility. He'll even help you to get to me. And so when he redeems his bride by the blood, he purchases her. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, Yeshua, the angel of the Lord, the Malak of the Lord that appeared to him at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, Yeshua says to Moses, I will be with you and this will be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you brought forth the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on the mountain. So who did they serve in Egypt? Pharaoh. Who are they going to serve? God. So guess what? You know who you're not serving? Yourself. See, when you think you're serving yourself, you're actually serving Pharaoh. When you think you're doing what you want to do, you're actually serving Pharaoh. You're serving the God of this world. And so you're not supposed to serve the God of this world. You're supposed to serve the God that created you. You will serve Him on the mountain. So Leviticus chapter 25 verse 55. For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants. Whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. So this is why Paul says you've been bought with a price. Because you just, when you came out of Egypt and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, you just changed God. You went from Pharaoh being your God and serving Pharaoh to the God of Israel being your God. And the way in which you changed God was by putting the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And the doorpost is a threshold. So you made a threshold covenant. And so you rejected Pharaoh when you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And you made a new God. You made the God of Israel. And so you put the threshold on the, the door. And, and you're crossing the threshold. Now that house is going to be protected from when that house worships the God of Israel. And it's got the threshold sign for that house. So I'm, I'm now committed to follow the God of Israel and I've rejected Pharaoh. And you know in Egypt, to make that decision, you're putting your life on the line because Pharaoh has all authority in Egypt. So when you make a declaration when you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost to reject Pharaoh, if you're wrong, you're dying. Pharaoh's coming after you. This is rebellion. If you're wrong, you're dying. You better be sure. You better have faith that he really told you to do that because if you're wrong, you're going to die. But if you're right, the firstborn's going to die in Egypt. And you're going to be delivered. And so the choice that you make is a life or death choice. So now in serving and called to serve the God of Israel, there's a type of servant you're supposed to be. It's called a bond servant. Now the Christian phraseology for a bond servant is to make him Lord of your life. Make him Lord of every area of your life. And so the Torah word is a bondservant. Exodus chapter 21, verse 2. If you buy a Hebrew servant six years, he will serve on the seventh. He shall go out free for nothing. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I'm not going to leave from being under their authority. Then his master shall bring him to the door or unto the doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall serve him forever. Look, 
His choice to serve him forever was a choice of his free will. By free will, he chose to serve. Well, that's what the Torah teaches, of which required a bondservant. Whenever you accept Yeshua as Savior and Lord, that's what he, he wants your heart to be. He wants you by your free choice to say, I love him so much, I'm going to serve him forever. And so this is the heart and the calling of the bride of Messiah. And so the bride of Messiah is going to love. It's going to serve with her total love, her total devotion. Psalm chapter 40 verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears have you pierced. So what's the meaning? My ears have you pierced. Going back to being a bondservant. Because his master shall bore his ear. And it's interesting enough that this is what the Torah says. That someone that loves the God of Israel is to do. So you know what Hasatan and those in the world have his people do? They're all walking around with, you know, things in their ears. You know. And so he, he wants them... Hasatan wants the world to be dedicated to him. So, okay, I'm dedicated to you. Psalm 40, verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. Speaking of Yeshua. So Yeshua requires that his bride loves him with all her heart. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Now, Israel, what does Yahweh, your Elohim, require of you? What does he require? What does he require? To love him. Yes. And to serve Yahweh, your Elohim, with all your heart and with all your soul. So, the bride loves Yeshua with her whole heart. Mark chapter 12, verse 33. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your soul, with all your strength. I don't know what terminology you use in this country, but I'll tell you a phrase that we have in America um, about people that really love Yeshua. They call them Jesus freaks. You know, you don't want to be a Jesus freak. No, you know what he's asking you to be? A Jesus freak. And they say, calm down now. No, you want to keep stirred up. You know, other believers want you to calm down. He's asking you to be a Jesus freak. You know, I'm euphemistically speaking now. And so, but I'm using the phrase Jesus freak. Okay, so Mark chapter 12, verse 33. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbors yourself, that's more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. What does that mean? That's more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's more than form. That's more than lip service. See, he doesn't want burnt offerings and sacrifices. He doesn't want lip service. He doesn't want form. He doesn't want to say, okay, you know, Shabbat came around. I'll give you my hour. Okay, got it done. Good shape. I'm going to go do what I'm going to do the rest of the week. Sabbath is over. No, he wants a whole commitment all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So the bride loves Yeshua by keeping his commandments. Yeshua said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. When he said, love me, keep my commandments, he's making a reference to the very first place in the Bible where we see the phrase, love me and keep my commandments, which is Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, the chapter on the giving of the Ten Commandments where the one that brought him out of Egypt said, I show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So the bride of Yeshua will love him with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength. The way you express that love is to obey him, to keep his commandments. So in the book, in the Garden of Torah by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, he says, Israel, the Torah, and the Holy One are all one. Israel, the Torah, and the Holy One are all one. Well, we would understand Israel, Torah, and Yeshua are all one. 
So there's a unity between Israel, Torah, and the Holy One. And so in Psalm 16, verse 10, who's called the Holy One? You will not leave my soul in hell, neither your Holy One to see corruption, which is quoted in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Who's the Holy One? It's Yeshua. So Israel, Torah, and Yeshua are one. If they're one, they're in covenant with each other. If they're in covenant with each other, they got a marriage. And so you cannot separate Israel, Torah, and the Messiah. So what does the enemy try to do? They try to separate the Messiah from the Torah. If you believe in the Messiah, you don't follow the Torah. And so those who identify with being Israel today, that would be primarily the Jewish people, they have an affinity with the Torah, but they don't say, no, Yeshua is not the Messiah. And so Israel, Torah, and the Messiah are not unified. And this is the purpose of creation, is for, they, for, for them to be unified, for them to be one. And so we need to understand that Israel, Israel is the house of Jacob. Israel is the house of Jacob. So the house of Jacob, the Torah and the Messiah are all one. In the house of Jacob here can be understood to be the literal house of Jacob. They are all one. But we have those that believe in Yeshua as the Messiah and biblically their name is the redeemed house of Jacob. More commonly the world calls them Christians. But in order to understand our Bible better and not allow the word Christian to be a term that means someone that's not a Jew. In other words, we think of the word in part as a word of separation from something else. That more accurately, biblically, a believer in Yeshua is called the redeemed house of Jacob. You got the literal house of Jacob, you got the redeemed house of Jacob. So Christians call the redeemed house of Jacob saved. They call Christians. Now in Exodus chapter 19 verse 2, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost, crossed the Red Sea, they came to Mount Sinai. And in Exodus chapter 19 verse 2, at the end of the verse it says, And there Israel camped before the mount. And so, looking at the Hebrew... It says in Israel camp there. It does not say the yakanu, the plural mode of they camped, but va yachan, the singular mode, he camped. He camped. And so there was unity at the mountain. So the God of Israel wants to be one with his bride. He wants to be one with his people. He wants the house of Jacob to be in unity with him. Now at Mount Sinai, there was a marriage. There was a betrothal. And so if you can see the initial picture that the covenant that was made with Abraham was historically, anciently, the ceremony was not only a blood covenant, but it also was a form of a marriage agreement that the children of Israel went to Egypt and they gave themselves to other gods and to Pharaoh. Now he's going to separate them from the other gods and under the authority of the other gods. He's going to judge the other gods, going to judge Egypt, judge Pharaoh. And now re-establishing the relationship with the God of Israel by a threshold covenant. And so we're going to renew the marriage. We're going to have, if you renew it, you're going to have a betrothal. So now there's a betrothal at Mount Sinai. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. Go and cry in the years of Jerusalem, saying, This is Yahweh. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your espousal. Espousal is the Strong's number 3623. It's the Hebrew word kalula. And within kalula is the Hebrew word for bride, which is kala. Kalula, kala. So the letters... For the word bride in Hebrew is contained within Kalula. And so we get the, the understanding from the Hebrew that a bride is betrothed. A bride is betrothed. There was a betrothal at Mount Sinai. And so 
we need to understand biblical marriage. And there's two primary and major stages of biblical marriage. The first is called betrothal. And betrothal you are legally married to, but you do not physically dwell with. Mount Sinai is associated with betrothal. Then the second stage of the marriage is when you physically dwell with. That's what we're calling to be his bride, is that you complete the process and you physically dwell with. Now, the second stage of the marriage is going to be associated with Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is an alternative name for Jerusalem. So, the culmination of the marriage is in Jerusalem. From Egypt to Jerusalem. And so this is why in the New Covenant, you don't come to Mount Sinai. You come to Mount Zion because the bride is being completed. Now, in Mount Zion, you keep the Torah. We've already looked at that. He will dwell in the hill of the Lord. He that has clean hands and a pure heart. And so, Mount Sinai, you keep the Torah. Mount Zion, you keep the Torah. The difference is, Mount Sinai, the Torah was kept with a stony heart. And they broke it. And Mount Zion, the Torah is kept with the help of the Holy Spirit to help you to follow it. And so... The bride of Yeshua that he brought out of Egypt is the house of Jacob. Exodus chapter 19 verse 3, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. So the house of Jacob is to whom the marriage was made with at Mount Sinai. This was a literal people, a literal house of Jacob. But who Messiah is going to rule and reign over forever is those who he redeems, saves, delivers, and are faithful to him. That's the redeemed house of Jacob. So it says about Yeshua in Luke chapter 1 verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. So his bride is a part of the house of Jacob. And so, um, that being the case, I think this will be a good uh, stopping point. Let's take, I don't know, 15 minute break for tea and uh, and uh, get up and move and, and uh, interact with one another and uh, we'll reconvene in 15 minutes. <laughs>